Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of EverAgs Podcast. Uh, today, we have a little, little switch it up to do. We're not going to do a market talk Monday. We've actually got our chief dairy market analyst, Mr. Matt Gould, with us. Matt, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be on this, Cody. Absolutely. Um, I've told a couple people that you were going to be coming on and and they're looking forward to the listen. One of the big things that you and I were going to hit on was the inflation across the range of inputs and commodities, especially into the 2021 region and how that is affecting kind of the cost of production on farm um, throughout the nation that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I would actually say that the inflation is the most misunderstood and I think actually most important factor in dairy markets right now. I mean, it, and, and I think most people are aware of the inflation in soy and corn, but but it's not just there. I mean, I, every every week I'm having producers call me and talking about new forms of inflation, things like parts on tillage equipment, 20% higher, uh, replacement parts in the milking parlor, 30% higher. Anything that ha- that's a derivative of oil in some some manner, whether that's fertilizer or it's like the, in, you know, the inflation in your, in your parlor, you know, substantial increases just across the board. And when you add it up, the increases in, in feed costs, the increase in, in all these kind of, you know, uh, typical costs you don't think about. Our cost of production as a country is is up somewhere between two and two dollars a hundred weight and two dollars and fifty cents a hundred weight from a year ago. So today's sixteen dollar milk price was, you know, yesterday's fourteen dollar milk price. And uh, you know, given where milk prices are, I think there's a lot of farms all over the country that are either hurting or once they work through feed inventories, uh, are gonna really start bleeding cash. Well, exactly. And, and guys that I've talked to kind of to hit on that have told me, you know, last year, the past two years, if they were $16 all in prices on the milk check, now they're estimating it's going to be 17 17 25 maybe um, because of, of some of the stuff that you've hit on. Why do you think we've seen, I guess, besides grains, such an increase in that cost of production? I know you mentioned, you know, some of the, the port issues on on exports. Would that have a big a big to do with this? I think it's easy to point to things like, you know, we've had we've had the the weather disasters or the reopening of the economy, you know, with coronavirus creating demand events and and to talk about it from from kind of like a uh, you know, uh, each each product its own separate story. I think I think from a higher level in a, a more kind of general way, the reason why we're seeing inflation is because across a range of commodities, we don't have very large inventories to insulate us from supply shocks or demand shocks. And so, as we've gone through you know that winter weather event in in Texas, or we have the uptick in imports by China, there's no cushion against that. And it's not just for for dairy or grain; it's for a, a wide range of commodities. Um, and I think that's the reason why you know the big banks have, have started calling for a new super cycle um, in commodities. But really, what they're talking about is that we don't have a big overhang across commodities in terms of inventory. Absolutely, I've heard that word thrown around a couple times too. Uh, a new cycle, a bolstered cycle. I've heard it a couple times. Um, this year is definitely going to be very interesting. And I think one of those. Uh, 
I guess, caveats that people keep talking about is the, the new Glambia plant um, that's in Michigan. Now, you and I have kind of hit on this a few times and you've talked to different people about this, but why do you think that new cheese plant has not quite disrupted or crashed our cheese market just yet? Yeah, and I don't I don't necessarily want to just single out uh, Glanbia's new plant in Michigan because we also have another American type cheese plant that should come online in the second quarter in Minnesota. And when you take those two plants, uh, we're going to increase American type cheese production on the order of something like six or seven percent when they're at capacity. So we're talking about massive increases in supply that um, you know typically in a normal environment we grow. Uh, cheese demand for American type cheese like cheddar or Monterey Jack, something like you know two percent a year. So we're talking about these massive gains in in supply, and yet we aren't. You know our cheese prices have managed to to you know stay uh, at least on a historical basis elevated. So so why why is that happening? Well. Uh, I think there's there's three key parts. One is that the government is still buying for another month. Uh, and when the government's buying, they're buying something close to 2% of the U.S. milk supply. Um, and then in, in terms of American-type cheese production, it's, it's a multiple of that. So one, you have the government still in the market. Two, you have uh, uh, what I think is are, are improving exports. Now, we're going to have to actually see the data on that one because port issues in, in getting uh, affordable shipping containers to put dairy products on is a problem. But I think I think our exports are, are trending higher. And then and then thirdly, which is going to be a dynamic that's really going to uh, be here for the uh, you know, next call it six months is we have the reopening uh, people getting vaccinated food service sales improving. We've still got a long way to go to be back above, uh, you know, pre-pandemic levels. But those those kind of uh, three three events where you have the government still in the market, you have the domestic environment improving and exports that are slowly uh, ticking up as well. So Matt, with these cheese plants coming online, have you heard of any other we'll say smaller cheese plants, right? That, that have kind of closed their doors and maybe these two or, or the, the new ones coming online have kind of absorbed that milk. Have you seen that? Or do you expect this to be brand new, um, brand new cheese that's coming to the market? I think it's, uh, it's going to be brand new cheese coming to the market. Um, the way that, that it, it is impacting and, and what I am hearing from the supply chain is, uh, you know, I guess, I guess to take a step back, this is the sixth largest American type cheese plant in the country. So this is, you know, this is a huge cheese plant and it's really amazing. And it's a feat of the economies of scale of, of America and the American dairy industry that you can bring that plant on online and not totally disrupt things. Um, and what's happening is that that cheese is going to to cut and wrap plants in, say, Tennessee or in um, Plymouth, Wisconsin. And it's displacing cheese that is made in the West. So instead of cheese coming from the West and heading to the East, that cheese in the West is staying in the West. And I think also getting on boats and, and headed, headed, uh, headed elsewhere. So this could really help with with transportation issues that we've kind of been hearing um, especially from, uh, you know, we'll say the food box program. I know a big, I'm not going to say problem, but a big part of that was, was part of the transportation. How do we get this cheese from A to B to C in a timely and cost-effective manner? 
Yeah, it's a there's definitely real uh for 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 buyers the shipping cost savings is is material and that's why that plant has had no problem selling cheese and finding customers is because when you talk about it on a delivered basis it is it is a, a cheaper source than if say if you're you're buying you know and it has to travel 1500 miles from the west. For sure. Now, I know today we had the cold storage report that's coming out this afternoon, but a lot of questions that I've kind of fielded in the past two weeks is every other Tuesday when we have the the GDT auction, the global dairy trade that we talked to John Spainhauer about last week, we see the rest of the world's prices on cheese and butter uh, pretty well inflated above ours. And I think a lot of folks are asking, okay, if we're making all of this product, we've got some of this product in storage, exports are, are picking up, you know, kind of from what you're, you're hinting at, why is our price so suppressed to the rest of the world at this point. Yeah, to kind of kind of put it differently, if you take the milk powder and butter prices on GDT and translate that into a milk price, it's $21 milk. I think there there are two primary reasons. One is the issues in our western ports. So, um you know, the, the Port of Long Beach, for example, reported last month a all-time record month for February in terms of the amount of uh, shipping containers that it processed. But then when you dove into the data, uh, the the imports were up, I don't know, something like, like 40 or 50%, but the exports were actually below a year ago. And what's happening is that those ports are being so overrun right now that the ships are asking to, to just have empty shipping containers to go back in order to have faster turnarounds. And that, that uh, kind of, you know, because the ports are, are so overrun is making shipping containers hard to get a hold of. And if you can, very expensive. And uh, as a result, that's the primary reason why our milk powder prices in the U.S. are sitting at a 20 cent plus discount to say European milk powder prices. Um, The second kind of reason is all about China. China has been the big buyer and we are at uh, tariff disadvantages compared to New Zealand uh, when selling into China. So I guess hitting on the $21 milk, there's going to be a lot of folks that say, if some of this new crop, especially soybeans, right? If bean meal is, you know, 470, 460 a ton delivered to the farm, we're probably going to need $21 milk here pretty soon. I mean, d- depending on, um, you know, if, if the port issues can get fixed or not, I'm not asking you to, to dictate the milk price. That's not what I'm asking at all. But do you see this year being a little bit better, especially with the rise in grain prices? I mean, if we don't see a little bit more of this in our milk check, I don't know how many dairy farms are going to be, you know, not around, but they're not going to be doing so hot here. Yeah, and, and that term doing better, I think all of us are anchored by the last five years where a, a 16 or $17 milk check, you know, over the last five years, class three price was a, de- was a decent milk price in that period. Um, today, that's not a decent milk price. I know the large dairymen that I work with at 16 bucks, they're all, they're all underwater. They're losing money at that, you know, at that price. In order, in order to make money, if you're buying spot feed, now of course there's a, a significant amount of milk that's that's, um, you know, or feed that was pre-bought. If you're buying spot feed and you're a large dairyman with the greatest economies of scale in the country, you're still talking probably seventeen fifty or higher uh, in terms of break even. So um, what tends to happen is there tends to be a six month lag between when those higher feed costs actually start trimming milk production. And if we, if, you know, in my model that has, that has our, our milk production growth really slowing sometime around July. 
yeah, I mean, with these high feed prices, it's, it's kind of got to slow here at some point, right? Well, and, and in the U.S., right, we're still growing pretty hard. In, in Europe, it's already, it's already made a difference. I mean, their milk production turned negative in January. The conversations I've had with contacts in Europe indicate that they're expecting milk production to stay below uh, 1% growth. And it's, it's primarily because dairy farmers in Europe are having to pull concentrates out of rations because they just can't afford them. So I guess kind of hitting on that a little bit farther, do you see, and I, at the end of the last year, some of these co-ops throughout the country put, uh, we'll call it 10% reductions or, t- or 10% reduction caps on folks. Do you see those kind of sustaining as we go further to help decrease that milk production month to month, year over year? So I, you know, I I don't think that the processors put it in place because they're trying to slow U.S. milk production growth, and that's their goal. What what they're doing is they're trying to bring their milk supply in line with their actual sales. And, you know, I I think we do have a record amount of those milk supply management programs in place. And it certainly is going to have, at this point, I think over half the country's milk is in some sort of supply management program. And they're, they're, you know, that's, that's a new feature, but that new fact or new, new uh, structure of the market is really playing second fiddle to this, the higher feed costs. That's going to have a much more direct impact because uh, there are very few dairy farmers, you know, the exception of those that grow all their own feed, but there's very few dairy farmers that can escape the the inflation in in cost of production and uh at the moment our milk costs are are not high enough to compensate for those higher costs of of production so you know economics tells us well we can't stay like that forever our our supply is going to have to slow right that's that's a good point all right well perfect matt i i greatly appreciate you being on today i think this is a huge help answers a lot of questions uh from people all over you know the dairy sector from producers to to manufacturers so i I greatly appreciate you being on, man. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Cody. And, and if anybody wants to get a hold of myself or Matt or has any questions for Matt specifically, uh, we're going to put uh, both of our contact information in the description of this episode. Go ahead and shoot Matt an email and he will respond uh, when he gets time to anybody's you know specific questions. With that, it's going to do it for another episode of Ever Egg Podcast. Uh, we will see you guys next week.